Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Keith! Hey! Oh, I'm going to turn my music off. I can't hear you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of fun. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? <laughs> can you hear me okay? I don't have yeah. a great speaker or anything. No, that's fine. I can hear you. Good. So we can have you and me or a couple more? Oh, they're coming. They're on their way. Okay, good. How's things been? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was just at Red Bank High School, believe it or not. Oh, really? So we have a pilot program to kind of experiment with some of my learning stuff. Mm -hmm. Right now, they don't know if they can get through, get around the high school IT. Oh, right. Elixir bits installed, but you know, I, I might be able to keep up with them with curriculum on the new platform. That's awesome. That's yeah. really exciting. So, but I'm not doing any of the sandboxing yet, right? Oh, right. Okay. So, type one plus one, delete all your files. <laughs> so, it'll work in this setting, I think. Yeah, like where you can kind of, it's at least pretty controlled. We can, we can babysit it. Yeah. Yeah, should be okay. I, I don't think anybody will know Elixir that, that we're inviting. <laughs> So, yeah, um, yeah, you know, I just, so there were 40 people in this class. It's, you know about the Future Ready Institutes? I, I've heard of that. I am not super familiar with it. I've heard yeah. the name. Red Bank is the Future Ready Institute for computer programming. There's also Tyner, which is the Future Ready Institute for networking and things like that. So EPB versus, you know, you know Blue Cross Blue Shield and they're right. going to be pushing the, the heck out of Java in that space, right? Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So I used to be a, um, what's the term? I was like a professional advisor for UTC. Ah, gotcha. Um, for like liaison kind of person for a while. So I would like go to these like meetings with like the, the people who were like setting, essentially setting direction for the for the IT program at the school. And it was like, I was there. I don't even know how I got invited to that. Like, I don't know how I managed to get into that meeting because it's like EPB, UNUM, BC, and like legitimately they were like, you need to be teaching COBOL because that's what I need. I need to be able to hire COBOL professors. Because I need them. Yep. And so like UTC was like, okay, we'll do what you want to do. We do COBOL now. And I'm like, first of all, y'all need to stop that because COBOL is my five-year retirement plan in 10 years. (laughs) I'm waiting for all the COBOL people to retire in one way or the other and then i'm gonna sweep like just come flying in there and be like you guys want some cobalt done that's gonna be 400 dollars an hour i will knock you out some cobalt that's awesome hey anna you have to do something for me what uh so you have to say that's not the way it works luke it's not the way it works luke right because you know the the headphones make you look just like a princess leia <laughs> How's it going, Bruce? Very well. How are you? <clears throat> good, good. You got a cold there? I'm recovering from a cold, so. Um, um, do you have the right virus filters on your mic there? Virus filters? I know, right? Luckily, nobody uses it except for me, so it should be okay. Yeah, but we're on the other end. <laughs> Dad, how was, how was Lone Star? It was great. Did you hear that Jim gave us the conference? Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, yeah. How did I not tell you that? I don't know. I just assumed you knew that. I didn't. I should have. How did I miss it on Twitter? You yeah. know what? I think we talked about it. Wait. No, it was just me and you last week, right? I have lost track of what's yeah, happening. Yeah, but you didn't mention that. I thought for sure I brought that up. 
No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> yes, that's, that's huge. I mean, I think that we could do some things different there. So Jim ran a great conference um, and I think we're ready for the next step, you know? Um, yeah, that's awesome. It'd be great for it not to be in a strip mall. It would kind of be great to have the 20, 30% women like, like we did in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. There's room to, to move that one for the better, I think. That is so exciting. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Congratulations. Thank you. Are we waiting for Amos? Is he coming or? He's coming. He okay. was like, we got to start late. And I was like, okay, oh. we'll start okay. late. And apparently he's starting later than all of us. No, okay. that was my fault. Um, so I was, at, uh, I was at Red Bank High School. Uh-huh. And so we're, we're doing a pilot of our um, kind of language learning stuff. So I gave the motivational talk. You know? Oh, nice. You know, these are all the inventions of the world and look, it's getting faster and you kind of need to, you know, it's that kind of stuff. So cool. I basically pulled out tiny little snippets of, um, of major keynotes. So Chris, mm-hmm. I think you've seen that, that talk. Yeah, I have. So I basically pulled out um, pieces that they would understand and, um, you know, like some, some things just completely to pander to the crowd, right? I pulled out the old, um, the, the, the prototypes for Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Um, That's awesome. So people kind of got into that. Very cool. And how is all the stuff you're working on? It sounds so exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, so, so basically, um, I tabled things for a month to work on a class for Lone Star Elixir. Mm -hmm. Um, and the way they set that up is, um, there were essentially, five classes that that split 70 attendees oh wow couldn't make any money yet so you know i put things on hold for a little bit to to try and figure that out better can you tell i'm bitter (laughs) yeah yeah i'm looking at you chris (laughs) they had 40 45 yeah we had a lot (laughs) (laughs) the rest were struggling for scraps you know uh so it's it's keithley's fault I got a lot of I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of comments about that. Hey, <laughs> male trainers. <laughs> the Frankie yes. said to me afterwards, he was like, uh, "So next time, could you just have everybody just just take everybody in there?" Right, right. So we'll probably have fewer train. Well, we'll definitely have fewer trainings, um, and we'll probably cap. You know, do do some kind of capping for for some yeah. of them. Yeah, and we'll move downtown too. I think. It was uh, kind of miserable to be in a strip mall with, you know, a strip mall hotel. You can totally imagine that. I have not been. I would like to go to Lone Star. So maybe next year would be an awesome hey, you're on. You're on. So um, there were no women speakers. Oh, really? So we're going to do three or four minimally. Um, awesome. Before we open the call for papers. Cool. Y'all can't share this with anybody yet, but I'm going to show you something awesome that I've been building. You're sharing it with the world on this podcast. You realize that, right? Are we recording? No, we're not recording yet. We're waiting for Amos. It's fine. We're no, recording. I, start, we'll I started recording. Oh, I mean, I'm rec- <laughs> I always start the call recording, but we're going to cut. Okay, oh. fine. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, I thought what could go wrong? wrong? What could I know, wrong? right? No problem. What could, I was like, you know that you're sharing this with the world, right? Well, they're not going to see the gist. I'm not going to like say the URL. All right, here. Here we go. Is this the testing thing that you're doing? Yeah, check us out. All right. I'm waiting in anticipation. Is this something you're doing, Chris? <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, I hopped in here. Oh, okay, let's start the show. Yeah, we've been waiting for you, Amos. I, I assumed you guys already started the show. Start the show. That's what I said, and Chris is, is like, no, we're waiting. Is this the show? I it's think it's the, the show. 
we need, probably, we're going to cut out bit, bits and pieces. <laughs> See, Chris, I told you. <laughs> we needed to cut out some of it. Chris doesn't want to share his super secret awesomeness with the no, world. No, this is, I, I want it to be done before. I don't like announcing things that I'm doing. No, I understand. I'm just giving you a hard time. Like my own personal thing. Like I don't like announcing stuff too early. Welcome and to I, live view. I want to be able to like, <laughs> it's like the Apple thing. I want to be able to announce, I want to be announced, I want to be able to say, here's a thing. And also, if you want it, you can go download it right now. Yeah, no, that's fair. I understand. That. I'm just teasing. The, yes, light, this is- the lightning detector that I did, what, two years ago at Elixir Day <laughs> now? Or no, a year ago? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I never ended up releasing the code for it. It's still in a branch in the project. Like, people can go grab it, but it is not. Oops. Classic. The lightning detector, what, what was it, a voltmeter or? Oh no, uh, uh, that would hurt. <laughs> uh, I, I did a talk last year at Elixir Days on TDDing hardware and wrote all the tests for this lightning sensor, lightning detector, and I had never run it on hardware until I was on stage. And then I ran it and I brought out a Van de Graaff generator and made <laughs> lightning. That's pretty cool. <laughs> First of all, he Pretty flew cool. a Van de Graaff. Yeah, right. That's the more maybe. The Do you know how <laughs> awesome it is to take that through an airport? <laughs> I, I had to check in first, but they were like, it's "Guys, I'm bringing lightning inside the airplane." Yeah, you gotta be okay. No, no big deal. It's totally fine. <laughs> they call me Zeus. <laughs> Lithium batteries are right out. Smart suitcases not acceptable. Van de Graaff generator. I don't see a problem. Yeah, yeah. no big deal. It's totally fine. Normal. It's just normal. No. Please, please put all of your phones into airplane mode. <laughs> your Van de Graaff generator is just fine. Please though. tuck like, your Van de Graaff generators under your seat. Does that stow underneath the seat in front of you? <laughs> no, I, I ended up having to check it. It was way too big. I tried not to. Probably better that way, Amos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, we're we're joined this week by friend of the yes. show, Bruce Tate. If if nobody noticed, hey guys. Hey. We're so bad about announcing Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show, Bruce. You're quite welcome. It's because we're all friends here. We're just we're just talking and hanging out. Yeah, That's, what are we talking about? Yeah, what what are you doing this week, Bruce? What do you got going this yeah. weekend? It's almost this weekend. So what are you yeah. most excited about in the next week? Well, actually, can I can I use the last hour? Sure. Yeah. 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 So I just got back from um from Red Bank High School. And the idea is that uh, we have, so I'm, I'm starting a computer language learning uh, company and um, we want to start that with Elixir. And I want to see how these teaching techniques are going to play with non-programmers. So um, I launched the program, launched the program. Nice. That's exciting. Nice. So, so you just had your first class then? Uh, actually, actually, we said, hey, staff. come sign up. Uh, come sign up and it, we basically will run the first six weeks um, right after spring break. And then hopefully next year we can, we can do uh, more exciting things like, you know, maybe, maybe um, build a photo booth or, or a Van de Graaff generator or something like that. <laughs> nice. So you, in the last hour you started signups. So what, what happened in the last hour that, that, that excited? Yeah, we, we, uh, we basically said, Hey, we're doing this. Um, come signed up and we passed out flyers. We passed out 40 flyers for oh, 30 awesome. 15, 15, um, Mac computers. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll pair on them. 
Um, and uh, most of the people will have never seen uh, a program in their life, right? So the first, the first three or four weeks, we'll, we'll focus on things like Elixir syntax. Um, so I find that one of the problems in teaching language in our community is that you have to focus too much on things that generate friction right out of the gate. You have to install, you have to um, basically learn a whole new terminology. Um, you have to learn new syntax. And so um, what we did is, is basically built an online learning platform um, so that you could do the, the first major chunk of Elixir without, without ever installing anything. And so that way we could spread out the friction over time. You know, it, at, so you can start by learning the learning the basic primitive types and advanced types and how they come together and how you compose characters into strings and characters or just integers, all these things. Um, and rather than say, hey, you can imagine that if you type A plus or six plus four, you'd get 14. Look, that's what the output would look like rather than typing it yourself. When you type it yourself, you start to get things like muscle memory and, and all that kind of thing. So. That's the first piece of Groxio that we're announcing. And um, we'll put it in front of users in this setting before we, we um, ever send it out to, um, to the public. So we're very excited about that. That's awesome. Awesome, good work. Uh, yeah, Bruce, what inspired this kind of, this, the start of Groxio, right? This journey, it sounds rad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I worked for a, a fun company called I Can Make It Better. And it's essentially a market research company. And basically what is a dying field? Most people are doing market research and paper and most people are sending surveys. And what tends to happen when you're sending surveys is that uh, folks are motivated to get the opinions of others. So they pay for opinions. And when you pay for opinions, behaviors change, right? So, um, so what's what's happened is we've paid more and more for opinions and then the people who are paying for the opinions say well we need more opinions the surveys have to get longer and so um so if you've mistakenly clicked yes to do you want to provide your feedback in the last um couple of months or something the chances are you might have, have gone through 20 or 30 pages and if you bailed before the end of that survey nobody got paid. So um, there's, there's, a, there's a set of incentives and mis-incentives that, that really makes the um, industry kind of ugly. Mm -hmm. um, solving that problem was fun, but it didn't feel like I was making a dent in world problems. And so mm -hmm. Groxio is, is um, basically, I can sell what you can think of as a smart blog post and, and help people learn computer languages um, and have more time for doing the computer club at Red Bank and, and my mentoring programs on Thursday nights. And that's, that's really exciting to me. Yeah, that is awesome. What was the hardest, as you were approaching this first kind of version of it, right, where you have this online platform where people can start learning Elixir, what was the hardest part as to like deciding how to teach Elixir to people who are new to programming? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, so I think that there are um, probably three or four problems that I see. Um, we, we talked about the idea of friction um, in early learning. I think that's super important. We didn't talk yet about the problem of motivation. Um, I, think it's, I think that right now, the way that most languages are taught, uh, when you go to a new, uh, new 
program or learn learn Elixir, learn Haskell, uh, learn Haskell, learn Closure, learn any of them. You're basically presented with a manual to basically a um, a dumb manual to to learn the language. Um, Elixir's documentation is great, but it's not interactive, right? And what we're really missing is what can you do with the language? What problems are you trying to solve? So um, I think that motivation plays a huge role in learning the language. Maybe it, pay, it plays the primary role in learning the language. So after we, we, um, we attack the friction problem, the next step will be to talk about projects online and what are the, the foundational problems that you can solve with Elixir. And some of those will be nerves-based. Um, some of those will be will, will be um, tiny problems that that people who don't already know Elixir can come in and solve. And some of those will be techniques in Elixir that make things possible that really aren't possible elsewhere um, or very few places. Like one of our early courses will be on LiveView. And so, is the idea that if folks have tactical projects that helps with the motiva- motivating factor in learning? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when, when, when you have a problem to solve, um, you know, for example, I'm a um, small one-man shop and um, I basically um, bugged Chris McCord for access to LiveView until he, he relented. I made, I made it easier for him to give me access than not give me access. The reason is that as a one-man shop, I'm, I'm staring at this small little section of the site called JavaScript that isn't so small anymore, right? It's, it's you know, as that box grows, um, my, my fear of that side of the house kind of grows with it. What's really happened is we have this mental model that's split across two places. And LiveView lets me imagine the system um, in, in one box instead of two. Um, and so I could be so much more productive with that. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of a, a oh. big motivator. Yeah, that's so cool. It's so interesting because teaching something new like that is so hard, right? Especially when somebody doesn't have the context. So it's awesome that you guys have decided to kind of remove the, some of the friction points to make it easier for folks. Right, right. And, and I don't know about you, but um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll embarrass myself a little bit. Uh, when, when I learned to program, I, I wrote games in basic and, uh, my first couple of games in basic were when I was a teenager. And one of the, um, the programs that I wrote, one of the games that I wrote is basically, um, you, you saved it, um, on a cassette tape and mailed it in to the, um, to the, you know, they called it Chromoset magazine where, where basically they, um, they would sell audio files that were, you know, ones and zeros that sounded like a modem. But this game, um, you know, I, I was a teenager with, with teenage judgment. And I said, hey, wouldn't it be great to have a game where there's a burning building and where, where people were throwing their children out the window and you had to bounce them across the street safely? I thought that was a great idea, right? Uh, so, yeah, that's so... But anyway, the, the, the point is that I learned programming through visualization. So one of the things that we'll do, I mean, how many times, so Anna, you've taught a lot. How many times have you tried to in, introduce the concept of an atom? And people say, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. Is that a string? Yep. Is that a, is that a variable? What it, mm-hmm. Exactly what is an atom? What do you tell them? It's a constant, but again, it's hard, right? Like they're like, well, what does that mean? So what, what, I have is tiny little visualizations on the site. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's this one visualization called Adam. And if you type in colon bear, you see an icon of a bear. If you type in Adam colon yellow, you see an icon of yellow, right? And mm-hmm. um, it, it, so when you introduce that slowly, then you can move on to tuple, tuples. And you could say, hey, here's an Adam or here's a two tuple where the color's first, the animal second, yellow bear. And then you see an icon of a yellow bear, right? And then you can kind of um, you can kind of pay those visualizations out over time. Like for example, um, wouldn't it be great to have a visualization where if you map over these um, these three or four different animals, you see lions and tigers and bears, right? And then you can map over these colors, red, yellow, blue. And then when you map over those together in a nested sense. If you um, map over two of them and concatenate them together, you get three colors and then three, um, three animals. And if you map over them in a nested level, then you get everything from, from yellow bears to, um, to red tigers, right? Um, and that's, that visualization is everything. Mm-hmm. It, it, it takes the concept from, from text and characters and this crazy foreign um, syntax you don't have to think about the, the um, concepts in those terms anymore. You don't have to um, trust that the user, um, that the reader will make the jump. They can make the jump. Yeah, that is really, really cool. And yeah, I think you're right. Make, taking things of, oh, taking abstractions and making them more concrete um, and something that somebody can actually see makes a really big difference. It really, really does. Um, and so what I'm hoping is that, um, you know, if I could, if I could sell two or 3,000 of these um, online books for a pretty fair price that I can spend more time doing the kind of things that, you know, both of us like to do the um, Elixir Bridges, which mm-hmm. I know is a passion of yours and, um, you know, my mentoring groups, you know, and by the way, um, you know, hat tip to Grace, who I think got a job and hat tip to Ram, who um, got a job at Google. So Woo. Um, two, cool. big, two big wins for that program. Yeah. Can you say more about that program? What's that program? Uh, yeah, so um, so essentially, a couple of years ago, I was at a conference, I won't say where, looked out and there were um, 403 people and 399 of them were white guys. And that just kind of shook me to the core. And since then, um, I've been trying to think about ways to um, to actually open that up. So um, so we started a mentoring program um, in, in conjunction, actually, with Gig City Elixir. Gig City Elixir, um, the, the, the premise was, let's get some of the best programmers in the world, let's bring them to Chattanooga, and um, let's um, give away enough tickets to where at least 20% of the conference would be um, women, women and minorities. And so we had a couple of targets. We expected, um, you know, at the conference, we expected eight women, and we got like 32 or something like that. But... The whole goal for Gig City Elixir was to um, was to start some conversations with um, with those those mentees, and so um, there's been anywhere from um, you know four people, you know, all the way up to twelve at any any given week, and it it changes. Um, but we teach functional programming, and and, and the goal is that um, so right now we're we're kind of in this this slice of time where um, where you basically, a lot of the object-oriented knowledge um, doesn't apply anymore. You, you, that people have to unlearn that. And um, so there's an opportunity to catch people up that haven't participate, participated um, really ever. 
Wow, that's awesome. And you did a fantastic job of that at the conference. I, I noticed that it was a big thing whenever mm-hmm. I left out of there was how many women that I even, you know, got to speak to that normally at a conference, you know, I see just a few and, and we don't have a lot of interaction. And I, I set it tables where the whole table was all women except for me. And it was, it was fantastic to, to get that different input and, and put me out of my comfort zone was, was a wonderful place to be for me. Oh yeah. 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 So there's, there's, um, there were two conversations or two little moments that just kind of, you know, they gave me allergies. Not, not really. I feel, feel anything, but I, I got allergies. <laughs> <laughs> so one of them was, um, was we, uh, so we have a, a close family friend. Her name is Sarah Jane Gates. Um, she's absolute dynamo and um, she doesn't know anything about technology, but she helped put on the conference. And she said, um, Bruce, we have to, we have to get a, a picture of what happened here. And um, so we didn't, at that point, we hadn't counted. And when they said all the women come to the front, um, you know, stand right here. You know, somebody said, Maggie said, I can't see you all scrunch in, scrunch in, scrunch in. And then somebody in the back of the room yelled, we can't fit in the frame. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, started tearing up and everybody started crying. And I I got allergies. It it was really bad. (laughs) And then there was another moment that was really cool where um, I was t- talking to a woman named Tess, who's um, since then has, st- has started to help with our mentoring program. And she said, you know the hardest thing about being at a conference, Bruce? I said, what? She said, you have to be on your guard all the time. And so she said, this is the first time that I've been able to relax and learn in one of these. And it was great. It was just really great. And it's uh, happening again, right? We're, there's yeah. another Gig City on, on yeah. the way. At the end of the year. Yeah, well, two conferences. Actually, um, Jim Freeze has um, passed the torch for Lone Star Elixir. Um, so we'll, we'll be taking that one on. We hope to do some of the same things. We have some early plans for some programs in Austin. We, we're talking to some early partners that, that'll um, help run that. But yeah, uh, Gig City Elixir is going to happen again. And, um, you know, I, I know that we're not going to top the speaker lineup the first time. I, I mean, we we had seven people who had given international keynotes in the last um, last five years or so, and that's you know kind of stunning. Um, well, but that, we will have now. The plan is to to make the next seven people that will give the next international right? keynotes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, you know, um, Anna, your your talk was fantastic, and um, it was really cool for me to look out and see um, Grace McPherson kind of watching, saying, I could be that. That, that was, it was really great. That's yeah. really cool. So, so now you have, you, you, you were from Austin, right? Yes. So now you, you have home, home conference and new home conference. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's meta, Amos. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, so how, how do you how do you envision um, Lone Star Elixir being different than Gig City? Uh, so a couple of things. Um, first, um, I would like to personally thank Jim for everything. Um, so much of who we are as a community came out of that conference. I can remember sitting at you know there's a table like front center left. Um, you know if you're if you're staring out from the stage just just right center. Um, but we were sitting there um, in two moments, just kind of uh, really were cool. One was um, when, um, you know, this table got up and uh, it was a, a, a company um, that, that sent some people and they had to um, leave early for something that they had to do. 
And um, lo, uh, so uh, Jose got up and he started to bust the table, right? <laughs> it really just, it kind of showed, uh, you know, they had staff to do all that, but it kind of showed his attitude in the service of the community. And I said, yeah, that's, that's kind of special. And that doesn't happen everywhere. And the other moment was when um, it was the first year and there were like a couple of questions and um, you know, they asked is, is um, who's running Elixir in production? And a bunch of hands went up um, like 20 or something like that. And, and um, you know, we were wondering whether we were going to um, going to hit 90 and we actually got to 95 and we said, you know, we kind of leaned in and we said, we think we just hit critical mass. And um, I think that we did, but yeah. So, but the things that, um, there are some places that I think that we could grow. Like, um, like I do think that when there's one person, diversity programs are tough, right? Um, because you can't, you can't say, um, Hey, um, here's a free ticket and, and do somebody justice. You can't drop, drop people into a conference cold. What you have to do is say, we care enough about this, um, to, um, to, to teach people, um, and to make relationships, and um, what happened to Gig City Elixir is when people saw that we cared and we valued it, other people came, um, other people decided to speak with us, um, and um, people were more willing to, to sponsor. And so, um, you know, Jim has been good in the past at having, um, having women speakers and, and minority speakers. I mean, heck, the creator of the language is one, right? But I think we can do better about that. We will do better about that. So the second thing is... Um, I think that a conference really has to have a sense of place. Um, Chattanooga and Austin are very different places, um, but in the beginning, it made all the sense in the world to have this uh, conference at Norris Conference Center, which is, for those of you who've never been before, it's in kind of a um, strip mall and a little bit. And as the traffic has grown in, in Austin, um, it's become more and more isolated. So, um, so the second thing is, um, I think that we're going to, really try to weave in a better sense of place, um, try to move it downtown. We might have to juggle some things like we might have to shift the conference forward and the training back. Um, and since most of the people um, at the conference attended the trainings, um, we could do that. So, so that's the second thing. We'd, we'd like to, we'd like to um, take advantage of the unique sense of place. The third thing is it'll be a little bit different. Um, Lone Star Elixir is pretty much invite only. Um, so I do think that we want to do um, that we want to do a call for papers for Austin because it's kind of a showcase elixir conference and this is kind of um, how we see the conference grow and we see speaker pools grow. But um, I think that there's still an opportunity as we do a call for papers to say, hey, we have we have a bar to meet uh, if if we want if we want to raise up um, new women and minority speakers before we even start. Before we even start the call for papers, I'd like uh, a certain percentage of the, the slots filled, maybe um, somewhere somewhere around thirty or forty percent um, for for women and minorities. I know that that's not great um, because it's a, a lower percentage of either or, right? But it's um, it's better than we've been doing, and I think we we owe it to the community. Mm-hmm. No, I think that sounds great, actually. Mm-hmm. Are y'all? Um thinking about, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about this, but um, are you thinking about um, like putting some stuff in place to do like new speaker mentorship or like from like get like experienced speakers or people who've done it a few times to like meet early with new speakers in order to sort of like help them 
run through talks and give them pointers like before they get there, anything like that? Um, we haven't thought about that. Uh, haven't thought about that. That's, that's probably a great idea, especially with some of the local conferences. Um, mm. It might be that we focus on, on having a local mentor program and um, mm. kind of, kind of focus our, our resources on, on that problem first. Basically, we do want to open up the conference a little bit more to be just, just push the borders out a little bit so that, um, that it's Elixir and the Elixir ecosystem. One of the cool things about Geek City Elixir, I thought, was that um, we, we had some talks by John Hughes, who was absolutely fabulous and, and who has this passion about the language, uh, about um, functional languages that goes way, way back. And, you know, face it, Elixir is partially born of some of the ideas in, in, um, in Haskell with the reduces and the iteries um, mm-hmm. and the collections. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also had, I, I think the best talk of the conference was probably Stu Holloway's talk. Absolutely. Yes. And we actually no disagreement. Had, no, no disagreement there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had him out uh, a, a second time because we didn't record the talk. So we'll definitely do that next time. But, um, you know, I was kind of kicking myself and saying, the world missed this talk and it's my fault, right? <laughs> but Stu's talk so, is now online. It is online. We brought him back out. We, we paid the ticket out of the Gig City um, out of the gig city account. Um, and you know, that's less profit. Um, but you know, you don't do conferences like these to make money. Um, you, you do them to kind of foster the community. And, um, you know, for us, we want to kind of promote learning, learning Elixir. So mm-hmm. um, it is really worth it. And, um, but the point is that Stu was there because we viewed Elixir a different way. We, we viewed it as a functional language with certain foundations and certainly, the macro system and, and many of the philosophies in the Elixir community come from there. And, um, and Stu's talk was wise, wise, wise. Um, yeah, it's a great, great talk. Well, I think that was one of the things that felt so nice to me and so exciting to me about Gig City. I mean, it, it's also clouded with the fact that I was, it just felt surreal to have this many people like this, I don't know, it's in my town. Like, I don't know, it's just bonkers. Like I couldn't get over it even when it was happening. Um, But I think one of the reasons it felt so exciting to me as well was because you got a bunch of different points of view that weren't all super highly technical elixir-y things. Like you got these bigger ideas. And I think that's really important. I think that's really, really important for any community because otherwise you become sort of a, you become sort of a, I don't know, you become like a, like a, like a bubble. Like, you, you know, you, everybody, you only I share the same. Right? And if you got to have other stuff, you got to like, you know, new strains need to like, of, 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 of different viruses need to come inside that ecosystem and like mutate and change things. Like, because that's how you grow. That's how you verify your ideas. And that's how you gain new ones. So, you know, just for, just for people listening at home, um, Chris is lobbying for new ways to get infected. <laughs> <laughs> I love that metaphor, though. Um, you know, through the through viruses and things like that, we we get um, we get immunities. We we do change. We do evolve, and and um, you know, it's a it's very much the way that that we've thought about things. Um, I can't take credit for the entire speaker panel. Um, I did cash in every IOU that I'd had, you know, in the last in the last uh, twenty years or so. Um, but James Gray was a huge part of that speaker panel, um, of, of uh, putting the speaker panel together. And, um, 
and our perspectives came together in, in really a marvelous way. Um, so, you know, I've been working, um, working a little, um, Chris, I think that we've talked about speakers and Amos, I know that we've talked about speakers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, next year is going to be really exciting. We, we have a, um, you know, we have a new theme. It's going to be a things based conference. So we'll oh. have Jackson Schneck out and, um, you know, Todd will, will come out and give a talk and Frank will come out and help, help give a training. But yeah, that'll that'll be nice. Um, and and then you know, I'm also talking to. You know, I think that that Ricardo. Um, I don't know if any of you guys saw his talk in Austin, but he had this situation where um, there was a um, there was a uh, oh what do you call it a um, a host uh, a cloud host provider, mm-hmm. and they had you know all these uh, high end computers. And, um, and Ricardo, um, if you've ever seen him speak, he's, he's just got this marvelous intonation and, um, he's from, um, from Chihuahua, Mexico. And, um, you know, he can turn on the accent, um, when he wants to go for the comedy angle. So he had this one part of his talk where, um, where he said, where he was running elixir and the way he got it in is he snuck a raspberry pie into a corner of the data center. (laughs) <laughs> he was actually serving part of his application from there. He says, it's a little pie. No one will know it is. <laughs> so it was like it brought the house down. So I can't wait to see what he's going to do. That's going to be exciting. And, um, of course, Osa is going to be back. And um, last, last time he did a talk with me. And um, I asked him uh, with me to kind of take a back seat and give a um, – Kind of a small, almost a throwaway, simple talk. Um, that that you know uh, why why you shouldn't comment, right? To, to basically, it's a beginner level talk that would allow the mentees to kind of challenge um, what they've been taught to believe. So, but it'll be great to turn Osa loose and see what he comes up with. Like at at um, at, at Lone Star, he gave this fabulous talk about you know right before he's about to 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 take a. Uh, to go on a, a interview at Google, <laughs> but he gave this, this <laughs> fabulous talk about, you know, why the deck is stacked, you know, and it was, it was marvelous. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. He's definitely good about weaving a story into it. I've story. used the word hegemony. Well, I was going to try to hop in there, but I wanted to, to keep hearing what you had to say. Um, and and I just wanted to jam a segue in there whenever you you mentioned James. So you've got a you're you're a busy man. I don't know how you keep it up. <laughs> uh, so maybe when my kids move out of the house, I'll be a busy man again too. So. <laughs> I feel like I have more time since I, <laughs> since I went on on my own. Yeah. So um, so you and James are are currently writing a book, and yes, I have had the wonderful pleasure of. Uh, reviewing the book so far and and i'm pretty excited for you to share it with the world i've taken lots of notes but i'm gonna i want you to let let more of the cat out of the bag about what you you guys are writing about wait bruce before you start i do want to hear this but i actually have to um i have to run to another unfortunately to another meeting you all are going to keep chatting, but I just want to say it was always, it's just so lovely to get a chance to chat with you and hear all the amazing, amazing things that you're doing for the community and that you're up to. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan, big fan of the Elixir Bridges and um, you know, thanks for what you do. Well, well, thank you. I'm a big fan of yours. So I hope to talk to you soon. Bye. See you and have a great day. Me too. Wonderful. So um, 
Yeah, this this book is um, actually uh, we we knew um, the 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 pragmatic bookshelf. We knew we had to have a um, an Elixir advanced OTP book, and I asked James to write it. And it's kind of it's kind of something that you shouldn't do to a friend. <laughs> because it's it's a um, it's a marvelously complicated topic, and it's not clear where you should draw the lines, right? So I let him struggle with the concept for a while, um, and then and then we basically we said let's let's step step back and regroup, right? And then I got excited about the things that he was writing about, and um, and just helped him with a little bit of, of writing experience, um, just to kind of layer on to his his fabulous depth of elixir experience. That's, I mean, James has a different perspective on the world. And basically what we came up with is that we didn't need an OTP book. We needed a book about thinking about layering elixir systems. Mm-hmm. So the layers that we came up with are do fun things with big, loud wildebeest, right? So um, the layers are data, functional core, and tests do fun things with big, loud wildebeest. That's boundaries, life cycles, and workers. So, so the data and, and the functions are exactly what you think they are. They're, you know, try to, try to, get, try to uh, weave those two together um, with as much critical mass as you can before you start to weave in too much machinery. Right. So I'm not going to say the word pure because I think that pure has too much of a value judgment. Like does a, um, does a random number generator belong in the core? Um, does a timestamp generator? I think it probably does. And that's not pure, but, um, but basically the functional core is as pure as you can make it. Um, and then, um, and then my contention is that, is that it's easier to test and whether they're property based or unit test doesn't really matter to me but it's easier to test at that level before you layer on a lot of the complexity. Um, and then for applications that need it, the boundary layer is kind of that, um, that outer layer that, that starts to introduce OTP. And the life cycle is actually the supervision layer. And we, we um, shied away from the, the term of supervision because I believe if, if, you teach, if you teach this concept, you should teach, teach it like the IT crowd you know, the British comedy teaches, um, teaches programming. They say, do you try, did you try turning it off and on again? Right. <laughs> and that's a wise statement, right? Because that says that if you get startup right, and if you get shut down, right, then you basically get, and, and you mix in detection, then you basically get failover for free. So we teach people to think about, about supervision in terms of life cycle and workers is basically ways to share work like pools and things like that. So um, we don't believe that all applications need all these layers, but we, we think that that's a useful way of thinking about atomic individual pieces that we talk, we call components. You can call them whatever you want to, but we also think that, um, that there are, um, there are ways, there are granularities that you talk about for, for building components. There are ways that they work together. Um, it's just a, a really rich ground for, for talking about how to build things. Yeah, I'm really, I've been also uh, reviewing the book and I'm real interested to see, uh, I'm, I'm really interested to pick up on some ideas about how to increase the size, let's say, of the functional core. Because uh, I do agree with that. Like, I think that that's a really powerful design concept to be able to just turn what you need to do into transformations of data. 
It's a really, really powerful thing. No, I don't think, I think anyone who's done that has seen the benefit of it. Yeah. My problem in Elixir right now is that the amount of things that I can turn into pure data transformation tends to be very small. And right. I'm sort of dominated by right. error, the error handling states. In some cases, obviously, we like fall back to allowing the supervision or the life cycle of those things, uh, to, the supervisors to manage those failures in certain ways. But yeah. if I need to, let's say, store data in a database and I need to know that it got stored in the database uh, and I'm having to deal with an array of possible failure conditions, like some of which are fatal and some of which uh, could be handled by the supervisor and some of which uh, I need to handle from a, from a programmatic standpoint. I find it hard to do more of that in a stateless way where you could, in, and I guess it, in the Haskell like monadic approach of descriptions of things that you want to do that then you pass over to the runtime and say, do these for me, please. Uh, and I have a hard time layering in that way. Right, right. So I think that that's kind of the, the fundamental um, problem with, with how we code Elixir today. Um, it's, so if you think about it, this whole industry has thought about the, the class, of, the, the, the class of, of commercial application building as taking a persistent model and babysitting it with a web UI. And, and we do that over and over. And, and most of the designs look like that. Um, in Haskell, you don't necessarily approach a problem that way. You basically start with, with pure functions and, and code up as much of that as you can. And I think that we have, we have programming models that, um, that allow you to work in this way. Um, you know, for example, um, I came from I Can Make It Better, and I don't know how James has designed the system now. I know how he did it in Ruby on Rails. Um, we had a survey. And so there were surveys and questions and choices and, and all these things rolled up to a, a survey, right? And then you had some managing code. Um, and once you attach a manager to a persistent survey, then you're kind of in the realm of width and outside of the realm of pipes, right? You're mm -hmm. with, the, mm -hmm. um, with the clunkier comp composition. But if, if I imagine the problem today, then what I would probably do is to do a... Um, a completely stateless model of a survey. And then I would wrap that in OTP. And I would add my database interactions just like I was at, just as if I was accessing a write through cache, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd wrap transactions around it in the right place. Um, and um, it wouldn't be a monadic layer, but it would certainly act like one, right? Um, you can, you can, all of us in this room can, um, or this virtual room, um, can, can um, imagine how we would shape the software, um, exactly what the failover would look like. There would be some object objections, right? Like, no, wait, won't you have a lot of duplication across, the, um, across that stateless layer and the stateful database layer? And my answer is some, but, um, but I'm willing to pay that price to basically be able to operate and interact with my code in a stateless way, right? So for example, for Groxio, one of my concepts is a lesson. Mm -hmm. um, in a lesson, you can imagine it's just a state machine. So somebody um, goes from page to page to page and um, occasionally accesses code and, and the code might access an external user interface, but you know, that's okay. 
Um, and the ability to attach that, um, that stateless thing and to page through that thing using LiveView is just game changing. Mm-hmm. Right, so I can write my content. I can work on the models. Um, I can um, iterate over what the right set of fields are before I ever touch the um, the database. I can work in Elixir types before, um, before that are a little bit different than they would be um, if if I had gone straight to a database. I don't have to to timestamp things yet. I can timestamp the things um, when I want to. Um, and, um, I, and I frankly make some different choices about persistence than I normal, normally would. Like, for example, the lessons are just completely OTP-less, stateless data, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, um, they're coded to a, common, to a common interface, right? The, um, you know, the, the main persistence things are related to users and answers um, and are tied to versions. And, and all of that is just a beautiful way to work, right? Um, because, because I mean, it's it's two things, right? It's the um, it's the OTP and lifecycle management, which is subtly different, subtly different across um, across LiveView and the back end. But um, when things reload, um, it behaves exactly the way I need it to, um, and it's great. You know, there are a couple of holes in it, like it's frustrating to um, to have to think about how to package your code. Right, um, you know, I've I've tried the ponchos, I've tried the get dependencies, and I've tried the context, and I haven't I haven't landed exactly where I want to land. But um, but the directory is a good place. <laughs> yeah, in yes. in the in the proverbial monolith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I'm not there, right? So um, I I think that um, in my model um, there are going to be there are going to be places that I need separation. Um, especially if other people are going to write lessons for me. I need, I need to, um, I need a strategy for, for doing these things, but that hasn't hurt my productivity a lot um, yet, except, you know, working out the deployment details with Google Elixir, who by the way is fabulous. Yeah. We, we've talked about this. I'm, I'm anti, I'm anti umbrella. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Generally, but yeah, no, I, but I take your point. Yeah. If you need, certain types of separation that you have to figure out ways to accommodate that. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I haven't, so I, I wrote programming Phoenix with, um, with Jose and Chris and I can't be completely anti umbrella basically, you know, because they're, um, they're, they're great and passionate advocates of it. And, um, and they're good at that. I mean, they understand um, what trade-offs are making. I do see the benefit of, um, of either being, all in all in the lib directory or um, or separated out into well I, I'd, I'd rather have it, it strikes the umbrella strikes me as in between and the sweet spot um, for it is is really really small yeah yeah I think that's I think that's true I think it's like the use case for it is very it's a very specific set of things that you want to do with umbrellas and I think largely for me anyway it, it's it's really around operational benefits. Uh, and less around splitting out, I think, what people consider to be domain ideas. And what's really what's really cool for your listeners is that there was a um, a great um, a great conversation um, on on Twitter where um, you know I guess um, Chris lobbed a grenade out there and 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 disappeared for a little while. And this no. whole, and this whole and this whole great conversation um, grew up around it. Um, you know, I think that Sasha was on it and Chris McCarr was on it for a little while and. 
Uh, there was some great thinking and um, just wonderful discussion on there. But yeah, yeah, I, I have a hard time completely disagreeing with you there, Chris, um, but I'm still working it out. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, as we all are. I, I just say things and then people, <laughs> and then people get upset about it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's so hard. I I need to. You know, Twitter's terrible. <laughs> 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 Haven't you quit a few times? I've quit a couple times. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know. I I, I hope you don't. I can stop whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think it I learned a lot about that conversation. I learned <laughs> so much. When you say these things, it generates great conversation. Even if even even if you feel like it's it's a grenade and you just need to run from it, but I, I appreciate them. <laughs> you can't have too, too much information, right? So, um, you know, I gave a I gave a talk at Lone Star Elixir called the River, um, and basically the the concept is that we need to learn to disagree with civility. And, and Chris, I think that you're you're really good at that. Um, but I think that what we all need in, in places like Twitter is we need a, we need a place um, to kind of point to um, where we say, hey, um, this is the way that it's not a code of conduct. It's more of a, um, a toolbox of rhetorical tools that says, you know, this is how um, we can, we can um, these are some tools that we can use to talk to each other when things get heated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I know, yeah. I have a segue. No. <laughs> <laughs> I expected I expected Amos to kind of jump in there and, and redirect. No, I'm trying to. No, when he said he needed to think, I thought I I better be quiet. This happens occasionally. Then we cut these big silences out. Yeah, <laughs> because I'm like, hang on, and then I lean back in my chair like this and I think about it for a minute. <laughs> no, I I kind of I I don't know the the thing I've actually attempting to do more of and then and also you know kind of failing at is i'm trying to actually write this stuff out in long form like i kind of really miss blogs like i really miss like having discussion via blogs where you could have real nuance and context and that's part of the problem when i try to write a blog post is it takes so many more words because i feel compelled to explain like here's this here's the situation in which this idea formed because I think that's so like that con that context is so important because otherwise, you know, it's like reading that some company used Kubernetes and that's a great idea. And then trying and then assuming that everybody's used Kubernetes or whatever, you know, swap Kubernetes out for any technology. People make decisions that way without understanding the context. Uh, and I, I actually think it's sort of incumbent upon the people writing that stuff to provide that context. And so this is why I, I never write anything. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know that that the context even if you provided the the context that the context being there will make as big of an impact as you think i think that many of us are uh you know look for the quick solution because we we want to produce software we feel like we need we, you know we have a passion in providing value and so we get in a hurry to provide that value and so we get these little things that we see, oh, people are using umbrellas. That must be great. Let's figure out how to, we're going to incorporate umbrellas. It's going to solve all of our problems. We're going to make all of our functions. This is, this is your favorite, Chris, four lines of code or less. <laughs> and it's going to solve all of our problems. It's so dry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's, it's I, I want to provide value. Like I get, for me anyway, I used to think that I really love programming and I really do. I love programming, but it's not my, I've realized recently that my passion is not loving programming. My passion is, is loving producing value. And so 
sometimes it feels like, oh, I've, I've got this thing, like four lines of four lines of code per method is going to allow me to produce value a lot quicker and, and write more maintainable software. So let's go try it and let's do it everywhere. And, and then it doesn't actually solve any of my problems because what I really needed to do if I wanted to provide that value is take that step back whenever I'm at 20 lines of code in this function and think, should I split this up? And, and so these things are opportunities to think, but then whenever you talk about technologies, they, they really do the same thing as, as the little rules, you know, Hey, you can solve everything with Kafka or Kubernetes or Elixir. Yeah. That's the uh, that's the modern day architecture. Is first of all, you draw a big box and you put a Kubernetes label over it, and then you put a bunch of smaller boxes inside of there, and one really long box called Kafka, and then you make all <laughs> the arrows point at Kafka, and you've just solved modern architecture. <laughs> like you can give any talk at any architecture <laughs> technology conference anywhere. You're like, you see what I've done here is I made all the arrows. They point at Kafka now. <laughs> Originally, all the arrows, they pointed everywhere. They just pointed to all the other boxes. So I took all those arrows and I made them point at Kafka. And now... And now everything on the other end of Kafka, you can, you can do Kotlin, you can do Elixir, you can right. do whatever you want. Just make sure those arrows, take them, twist them, make them point up at the Kafka, and, and it's great. All right, right, right. <laughs> My daughter just walked in sat down across from me. I believe that she's in a class and she's now shushing me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The perils of recording at home. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by a lot of these, by a lot of these ideas. And I, I, I don't know, like I've had a bunch of these arguments or like not arguments, but I've had a bunch of these discussions where I feel like so much nuance gets lost and it becomes that, it becomes the Kafka argument. You're like I just make all the arrows point at Kafka and it's really hard to weigh some of the trade-offs that get made. Like I remember having a, a conversation about types and type systems on, on, again, on Twitter, which is a terrible platform for this kind of stuff with, um, with James, a uh, friend of the show. And I think, you know, a lot of that, like I would have, I, I would have given anything at any moment during that conversation to just call James because I actually think we would have come up with some really cool stuff. Like we would have like really come to a middle ground there and had such a more rich and interesting conversation because we would have been able to talk about trade-offs and talk about the nuances of what we were describing and why we felt compelled about certain things. I, I've been working on this, like I've been working on this, this project um, that I've uh, you know, shown to a couple people. And whenever I kind of like, whenever I try to talk about this stuff, I have to provide, you know, 15 minutes worth of why is this better than an, than the alternative? Why is this, why would this be better than types? Why would this be better than X, Y, Z? Why is this better than dialyzer? Why is this better than whatever? And it's really hard because you have to sort of explain like what you're optimizing for and the, the reasons that you've arrived at the way you feel about them. Like the, the reason, the, the, the reasons you feel compelled by certain limitations in existing tools or whatever. Critical thinking, problem solving, right? It's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get um, the nuances of either um, into how many characters are tweets now? What is it? 288 or something? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not enough. It's not enough right. by at least like an order of magnitude. <laughs> you can't get nuances in there. It's not even for that. Right. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. I've been staying off of there because I find it, I, I've been, I don't know. I find it, it hasn't been enriching certain parts I, of my life, but well, yeah. Next time that you, you're going to post something on there, can you just put hashtag grenade on it and 
<laughs> and then I can find just a, I gotta it. find another. I gotta find another maps versus structs to throw out there. Like I gotta find. <laughs> yes, that was great. But it, but it is. It's so weird. I mean, it's so funny to me because like that was a I great discussion, our, kid. It was I, great. But I look at I look at our code base. I like across ten some odd Elixir services at Bleacher Report. There's a single struct definition. Like there's a single def struct. I looked. I think you need more. There's a single that's, one. That's, that's the secret, though. I you mean, now granted, there's some that are defined by Ecto, so the def struct keyword's hidden. So there's more structs in the code base. But like in terms of structs that we have built, there's one. And I don't think you could make a compelling argument that if you had more of them, it would be better. Like it would, it wouldn't serve more traffic <laughs> if 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 you had structs. I don't know. It's like it's it's optimizing for a totally different thing, and that's that's the that's what gets lost. So here's the thing, Kate. Or Keith, <laughs> Keith Lee, Chris Keith. This Lee. happens. He all the answers time. by just about anything. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. So, so when you when you make generalizations like this, you you have to you have to group together all of all of the pieces of things that you're you're endorsing, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you can't make a blanket statement that um, unit tests are good or unit tests are bad until you see the other types of of um, checks and balances that you have in a code base, right? So mm-hmm. the answer, so when we wrote Adopting Elixir, we talked about a lot of things like um, some, some documentation tools, you know, we talked about Credo, we talked about different mm-hmm. test strategies. The answer is almost never to do all of them. The answer is to do, um, is, is to do the core um, that gives your team the most um, value um, without without stepping too hard on your efficiency, right? So, um, and and the way to say that is that you have to optimize both short term and long term value, uh, period. Yeah. And and, and if you can't, um, and so that's why Twitter's not enough, right? It's it's um, because when you're making a nuanced argument, um, you have to lay out the problem that you're solving. And I think actually blog prop blog posts that have to have many of the same problems, right? Because if you have an argument about, um, for example, uh, oh gosh, let's take one, um, static typing always improves code quality, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a witness to a conversation between a guy named David Turner, um, who was the, um, the father of Miranda. And, you know, you could argue um, of, lazy, of lazy, strongly typed systems mm-hmm. um, and Joe Armstrong. And what David Turner said was, um, was, hey, um, Joe, I'm surprised that you've been able to, um, to get reliability for your core systems at Ericsson mm-hmm. that approaches or even surpasses the reliability that we've been able to get out of ours, which is mm-hmm. strongly typed. Um, and the reason is that um, Erlang um, does have strong checks and balances. They're just a different kind. Yeah, it provides... That that's such an interesting idea, right? Like so much of what we do is about well, at a certain point, so much of what I end up dealing with is about yeah, reliability and being able to sort of build things that withstand transient, unforeseen failures. And it's 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 like well, there's a term in um, uh, there's a term in like a lean manufacturing. Uh, and I'm forgetting the actual uh, Japanese term for it, but it, it, it's, it stands for like mistake proofing. You make something that actually, where you can't make a mistake in the way that it's used. And so an example of this is like USB. As annoying as USB is, where you never plug it in the right way the first time, it's also mistake proof. You can't plug it in wrong. 
It's yep. annoying, but you can't do it wrong. Yep. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> like in so many ways, like the type thing, that's a version of mistake proofing. And in one, but, but like contrast that with a different type of mistake proofing, which is supervision. And they both awesome, are, right? they're both like accommodating this design idea and they're accommodating this ability to build like really reliable things, but they're doing it in different ways and they're solving for different parts of the mistake. <laughs> like they're solving for different, for like unforeseen things or rather like supervision is like solving for an unforeseen thing. And types on the other hand are trying to solve for like the USB problem. So I think, uh, so the conversations that I like are, are basically conversations about um, not about tweaking um, how we, we are, um, we're providing, choosing, uh, making, you know, tangible choices between valid, you know, valid technologies that, that solve a given problem um, to actually thinking about the philosophies of building software in the first place, right? Like, so the conversation that we had earlier about, about expanding the functional core, mm-hmm. um, that's, a, that's a big time win, right? So if you can do that, um, the more that you can get into the core, the better off you are. And, and we have so much data um, that, that kind of shows that. So um, I love those kinds of thoughts. Um, and that's kind of um, one of the things that, that James Gray has introduced me to. Um, he makes me think of, of um, he makes me think macro instead of micro. And I, I need more of that. Like that bigger, that, the bigger way, the bigger picture of thinking about how all these pieces like fit together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I could, I could look at um, James's code and I could say, Hey, I wish you made that function smaller. Right. Uh, because I am one of those like uh, function count junkies and, and um, but, but together we kind of had the, the combination of, of the macro and the micro thinking. And it was, it was really, um, or it has been lovely to work with them so far. Um, yeah. And can't wait till the, the book hits beta and uh, I guess April 10th or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be exciting. It's going to be cool. I'm excited for people to be able to see it. Yeah, me too. Only, only good can come of putting more of these ideas out there in the world and getting people to think differently about how they, they build up systems. So one of the things that was a lot of fun was um, when, we, when we were trying to pick a problem, um, we, we bit off a couple of really trivial ones and they didn't have enough meat to actually um, think about things in an interesting way. And um, James came from a company called No Red Ink. And one of the things that they thought about was... Um, how do you structure um, a, an evolving learning quiz, right? So we built a, a program called Quiz that, that learns um, whether, you're, um, whether you're getting questions right or wrong. Um, mm-hmm. If you get, get enough right in a row, you master the concept and doesn't go back to it, right? So, so we were able to show that by waiting a little bit and not dumping you know, the, the quiz templates and the questions and all those things directly to a database, we could show a lot of value. It was a lot of fun. And it's been fun, fun to, to go through and, and read and take part along with it. It's good. Wonderful. Stuff. Can't wait to get your comments, buddy. Oh, uh, you, you might regret that. I was just looking <laughs> here. I think, I have, I think uh, I'm on. You going to mail him your notebook? Uh, well, no, I have a rocket rocket book so you, you like scan it with your phone but i have oh. uh one two three four five pages of notes so far and that's just chapters <laughs> one through three. Oh wow so I, so you're not going to be invited for the next one yeah <laughs> i want to rubble chris i want a rubber stamp you hear me all right yeah yeah, yeah. rubber stamp 100 100 yeah, chris you have a yes stamp 
Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Seal of approval. So uh, what, was that, what was that note that you wrote in the third grade? Do you like me? Just click this box for yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mine said click. Yeah. Right. And, right. and there was no no. <laughs> right. 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 You must agree to my terms and conditions before. Yeah, they always sent you the note back that said maybe where they'd written in. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Haskell, future ah. Haskell programmer. <laughs> now, now all the kids text each other in second grade. They're like, "Hey, do you, do you like me?" <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm like Anna. I've, I've got to get out of here. I've got yeah, to. I got to go back to work at some point. Uh, I uh, could sit and talk to you guys all day, but uh, I guess, I guess it's time for us to go. Oh, before we go though, so. We, the wonderful people at Elixir Cards allow us to give a pack of Elixir Cards away at every episode. And and so this episode, if you will send us a hashtag at Grox, G-R-O-X-I-O as your hashtag and and tweet at us and tell us uh, tell us about what you liked about the episode, we will put you in a drawing for some Elixir Cards and help you learn just like Grox.io is going to help other people learn. That's Groxio, buddy. Groxio. Ah, it's because the dot there, it messes me up. Sorry. Sorry, Bruce. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have a video on YouTube like, like Torvalds that says, I I'll pronounce Groxio. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it was great talking to you guys. Yeah, as time. always. Have a, a wonderful time. Thank you. And I uh, look forward to, to next time and catch up with you at, uh, at Gig, Gig City at the, at the latest. Absolutely. It's great to meet you all. All right. Have a good day, Bruce. Take care, bud. You, you too, I guess, Chris. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>